What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. On today's podcast, we're continuing our serial, Time Slinger Season 1, the online time travel adventure series, which we turned into a novel, and now we've turned into an audiobook. Last week, we published Episode 2, and this week, we'll be diving into Episode 3. Don't miss my writer's commentary on our Patreon account where I break down our thoughts on time travel and storytelling. If you become a supporter of the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon for only $3 a month, you unlock that writer's commentary every week and you unlock the full audiobook when it's completed, which means you don't have to sit through these intros and outros that I'm recording. All $3 a month supporters and above will receive the uninterrupted audiobook and my writer's commentary for no additional cost. Physical and digital copies of Time Slingers Season 1 are available on Amazon if you prefer not to listen to me read it to you. And if you don't want to become a patron, you can purchase the full audiobook as soon as it's finished. Links to all of those things are in the show notes, or you can head over to patreon.com slash thestorygeeks or reclamationsociety.org slash timeslingers. Time Slingers Season 1 is produced by the Reclamation Society. As a quick recap, the XLS traveled back in time to 2008 to steal the formula for advanced stealth technology. Shortly thereafter, they launched the mysterious Operation Yamato and brainwashed Lee Harvey Oswald to the point where he assassinated U.S. President John F. Kennedy. In the last episode, episode two, Marcus Klein traveled back in time to 1970 and met with NASA engineer Henry Ellis. Meanwhile, Hector and Jack were ambushed at a motel nearby. All right, let's jump back in. Here's episode three of Time Slingers. Episode three. April 3rd, 1970, Kennedy Space Center, Cape Canaveral, Florida. How close are they? We're not sure came the response through Klein's communicator. His brow furrowed. Despite their attempts to conceal XLS time travel movements from the Union, the subdivision had already found him. What happened to the new encryption procedure? They cracked it faster than anticipated. Don't worry, we're going to buy you some more time. Lee ordered that we put the bounty hunter in play. They'll be distracted for a while. XLS scenarios had been wrong. They had anticipated that JFK's assassination would prevent lunar exploration but it hadn't. The Apollo missions had only been delayed. That wasn't enough. Operation Yamato's success hinged on preventing NASA from studying the moon's Fra Mauro region. That made Klein's next objective, convincing Henry Ellis that the FBI had indeed found a leak in his department, of the utmost importance. Keep me posted. Klein terminated the call as Henry's car eased through the Kennedy Space Center's front security gate before pulling over to the side of the road. Klein strode up to the sedan. You bring them? You shouldn't be here. Henry glanced back at the guard manning the front gate's security booth. He whispered, It's not that easy. We had a deal. I thought we were supposed to be protecting the mission files, not stealing them. Security is tight. There are procedures. I can't just walk out the door with classified documents. Klein's black polyester suit stretched as he crossed his arms. Our intelligence suggests that the mission has been compromised. People could die. We need those reports. It's impossible. You can't help them from jail. The engineer's mouth snapped shut. His bets with Simon Kingsley had caught up with him. Let me talk to my supervisor. I'll see if... No, said Klein. 
No one else can know what we're doing. We selected you for a reason. You're clean. Outside the gambling issue, we trust you. We can't trust anybody else. Klein would have balked had the same entreaty been given to him. But 1970 was a different time, and Henry Ellis a different person. Despite Henry's distress, it struck a chord. Henry exhaled slowly. (sighs) All right, I'll do it. I'll get them. Klein nodded and backed away from the car. He had a foot in the door, but that wasn't enough to get him what he needed. April 4th, 1970, Wedgefield Motel, outside Orlando, Florida. The motel manager covered his head and cried for help. Hector shoved a needle into the frenetic man's arm. The sleep and memory agent would cause a short-term headache, but the manager's recollection of the incident would be gone. His body went limp. We need to get out of this room. Let's move, said Hector. Jack peeked out of the open front door. He's got a pulse gun on a non-lethal setting. He wants us alive. What's his position? I'm not sure. The roof? Jack leaned too far out. A blast of energy caught his shoulder and tossed him back into the room like a rag doll. He crumpled to the floor. All the muscles on his left side went limp. Hector grabbed Jack and pulled him out of their attacker's line of sight. Then, he slung their equipment over his left shoulder and helped Jack up off the floor with his free arm. Supporting most of Jack's weight and carrying all of their equipment, Hector wouldn't be able to fight. But the motel room was a death trap. We have to get to the car. Can you make it? Jack managed a weak nod. There was no back door. To get out, they would have to slip through their assailant's range of fire. The parking lot was located on the other side of the motel manager's office. Not far, but their route was exposed for 50 feet with no cover. Their attacker would have three or four clear shots. Hector half-dragged, half-steered Jack to the door jam and then sifted through their duffel bags and pulled out a grenade. You ready? He counted to three and then tossed the grenade out the door. Pausing only a second, he dragged Jack out into the courtyard after it. Sunlight blinded Hector. He cringed as if expecting a bolt of energy from the pulse gun to send him flying back into the room. But the grenade deployed his plan, providing an energy shield shaped like a cube, 10 square feet of coverage, impenetrable by most firearms. Hector and Jack didn't have long. It would take time for the attacker to break through the shield with the pulse gun, but an energy-diffusing weapon, grenade or a projectile gun, would work faster. If the assailant switched to a more effective weapon, Hector and Jack would only have several seconds to make a break for the office. It was a gamble. Another pulse of energy crackled as it dissipated into the shield. Now was the time. Hector pulled Jack up and scrambled for the office. No shots. The hesitation meant their attacker had switched weapons. A bullet slammed into the wall above them, sending a shower of splinters over their heads. A hasty shot. A second wouldn't miss. Hector kicked the door to the manager's office open and dove inside as a second bullet came within inches of where his head had been. Jack propped himself up on his elbow. The feeling in his muscles seemed to be coming back, but his speech was still slurred. Third room in. Rooftop. Hector sat back against the manager's desk. Assuming Jack was right, their attacker was located on the rooftop three doors down. Inbound shots had stopped. Hector peered through the office window and tried to get a glimpse of their assailant. No movement, no glare coming off a gun barrel. The attacker had moved. Hector's gaze dropped down to their car parked in the lot outside. He left his position. He's coming after us. We need to get to the car. Hector pulled Jack to the door. 
They scanned the parking lot and surrounding buildings. Nothing. Their hunter had disappeared. Hector helped Jack out to their car door. He eased Jack into the passenger seat and jogged to the driver's side. As he made the turn around the front bumper, his jaw dropped. Their assailant stood 20 feet away. He froze as though his limbs had been cemented to the asphalt. Between short, quick breaths, he stammered, What? You? Thanks for listening to episode three of Time Slingers season one. We'll be back next week with episode four, so make sure you're subscribed. Stay tuned. After this outro, I'll play a clip from my exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary where I talk a little bit more about this episode. If you want access to the full commentary on each episode, support us on Patreon at the $3 a month tier, which is the tier that most people support us at anyways. And you get access to the full-length clips. That's over at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks. Your support enables us to do even more serials like this, so please consider supporting us because we love doing this kind of stuff. If you want to binge listen to Time Slingers Season 1, you can order the entire audiobook when it's complete. Or if you would prefer to read it yourself, you can go get a print or digital copy on amazon.com. Links to all of those items are in the show notes, or you can find more info at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks patreon.com slash the story geeks or reclamation society.org slash time slingers episode three was written and read by me jay Shear. nathan sheck illustrated this book he also served as a story consultant super grateful for that time slinger season one including episode three was produced by the reclamation society and finally here's a clip from my exclusive audio commentary and i'll catch you next week for episode four we know as the readers that the, or listeners, if you're listening to the audiobook, um, we know that Klein is just manipulating this guy. And so you can see kind of how time travelers could manipulate people if they were to travel back. If we had somebody that traveled back from the future now and think of how manipulated we could be because they would know how our lives played out and we have no idea how our lives play out. And so they would be able to manipulate us pretty easily. I mean, based on some of the things that they're aware of that we would not be aware of. So I thought that was fun because as a writer, it was, it's fun to take a scenario wherein we know what's really going on, but we can easily sympathize with the other people involved. Klein needs something from this guy. We don't know exactly what Klein needs yet. Well, that'll be unraveled as we, as we move forward. Um, but then Henry Ellis has no clue. So we see Henry Ellis being manipulated by Klein. And I think from a writer's standpoint, that's just really, really an interesting scenario to play with. So I had a lot of fun with that. Then we, so we um, cruise back over to the motel in Orlando, Florida.